0: Greetings. We are starting series number three, episode one, and I will be reading from my book A Satirical Muse, The Desert Rain. This is John Charles Harmon. My books are available on Amazon or at johncharlesharmon.com. My music is available on all platforms under Chill in Brazil. I'm a Buddhist. I've been practicing Buddhism for almost 47 years, and I am an optimist. This podcast in general is about optimism. Now, I wasn't always an optimist. Probably I would describe myself as a pessimist for a good portion of my life, but now I'm I'm very optimistic about the future of humanity and the future for myself. There's a few things I want to get into before I actually start reading the book, because the book is basically about karma. Now, karma is not something that's really understood that well by most people in general. We Buddhists understand karma a little bit differently than the general public. To start with, karma is not fate. If you listen to the other podcast from my book on happiness... I went into that a little bit more in detail. But understand this, karma is not fate. Buddhism is a very individualistic practice and belief. Karma is a result of an omnipresent belief, not an omnipotent belief. Omnipotent means deity or God that controls everything in the world. And thus, you have the concept of fate. Things just happen because they happen. Karma, on the other hand, is based on the concept of omnipresence. In other words, as an individual, there's a force or a feeling or a vibration that's always present in every single human entity and in every single uh, life entity even non-life, that exists. And this force, because we are humans and we have volition, in other words, we can decide what we want to do, how we want to speak, how we want to think, how we want to act, what we want to eat, where we want to go, who we want to marry. We make decisions all the time, especially when we're adults. When we're younger, our parents make a lot of decisions for us, but we are a reflection of them also. So it's up to the individual to create their own future by making causes. Karma in general is the concept of cause and effect. Now, it's not the same as reap what you sow, but to a degree it is, because karma can also be collective. In other words, a group or a nation or a team, can have a collective karma. If you've ever played sports, you know, and you're competing in a league and you're up against a XYZ team, and everybody knows the reputation of XYZ team is that they play rough and they push you around and they commit a lot of fouls and they cheat. It's a basketball league, right? All the other teams know that because they have a collective karma as a team. They breed off of each other, the coach or however it is, and they have a collective karma as a team. Today, I was online and uh, posted something in Facebook. And this lady came back. I was talking about optimism, the various qualities of optimism. And she came back and she said, no, that has nothing to do with anything, whether you're optimistic or not optimistic. Everything's up to luck. So I came back and I explained to her, well, so you're telling me that uh, Martin Luther King, Oprah Winfrey, Gandhi... Abraham Lincoln, so on and so forth, everything they accomplished was due to luck. And she came back and she said, yes, they had lucky circumstances. Well, that's a fatalistic, or fate, everything based on fate, view, which doesn't include individuality. Now, you can have that view of life if you want, but I don't think you're going to be the happiest in life if you have that view, because... Optimistic people tend to be very accepting of other people and their beliefs and what they do. But at the same time, they tend to be very independent. They will be very assertive to speak up for their views on things with other people. And they will accept defeat. If you lose, you lose and you move on. People that are optimistic move on fairly quickly and take... Defeat as losses as a learning lesson, not as something that's destroyed their lives forever. Now, let's go back to collective karma. Collective karma of a nation or a people. It's very important. People that are optimistic in general, like I said, tend to be very independent. They're independent thinkers. They can analyze situations and ideologies, and various concepts, and come up with what they believe in their heart of hearts is the correct interpretation of it. In general, people that are optimistic do that on a regular basis. Nowadays, it's much more difficult because of the constant bombardment of propaganda into your home through your social media to actually become an independent thinker. Let me give you just a simple example and then we'll move on to the reading of A Satirical Muse, The Desert Ring. It's really one of my better novels. It's short and it talks a lot about karma. Let's just say I'm a vegetarian. Okay? And... I say to you, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat horse meat, okay? And I think eating horse meat is just fine, because, but I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat cow, I don't eat pig, I don't eat fish, I don't even eat eggs, I don't even eat fish, but I eat horse meat, because I really like horse meat. You're going to think I'm a little bit nutty, correct? Or a little bit off base. You're not going to get it. Why would I be saying that I don't want to eat meat, I don't eat meat, and then tell you that I only eat horse meat? There's got to be some reason to it, or maybe there's not a reason to it. In like matter, this lady who runs Black Lives Matter, okay, which is an organization that supposedly promotes equality for people and for black people especially, African Americans, has said publicly that she's communist Stalinist she said this publicly that's her ideology well where does that come from that comes from Russia now in Russia is there equality can you be gay in Russia sure but you can go to jail also it's not tolerated Can you be black in Russia? Sure, but it's not tolerated very well, trust me on that one. So people promoting an ideology and saying on the other side that they're for equality, but the ideology they're promoting is not for equality, should make you think. And that doesn't matter if you support equal rights for people or you don't support equal rights for people or whatever you think. It makes no difference. But when the leader of a group is telling you that her ideology is Stalinist, okay, then she's promoting racism because that's a racist philosophy or ideology. So she can't tell you, I'm promoting racism, but I'm also promoting equal rights. That makes no sense. Just like I said, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat horse meat. That makes no sense. So I brought that up because nowadays it's difficult. It's very difficult, especially for a lot of young people, to discern or to understand the reality of a situation when they're just constantly bombarded through the media and through social media to think a certain way And it it infringes on their critical thinking. Critical thinking is a big aspect of being optimistic and being very successful and being very happy. Okay, enough of that. We're going to go on and I'm going to read my book, A Satirical Muse, The Desert Rain by John Charles Harmon. On the back of the book, there's a quote by Albert Einstein. Quote, The most beautiful emotion we can experience is the mystical. It is the power of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. To know that what is impenetrable to us really exists, manifesting itself as the highest wisdom and the most radiant beauty with all our dull facilities, can comprehend only in primitive form, this knowledge, this feeling, is at the center of true religiousness. In this sense, and in this sense only, I belong to the rank of devoutly religious men. Albert Einstein. He lived from 1879 to 1955. A Satirical Muse, The Desert Rain. This is a work of fiction, complete fiction. Chapter 1, The Empty House. The satirical muse was alone on a roof. The roof deck was on top of a very large house. The house sat on the top of a place called, quote, Franklin Mountain, unquote. But it was really just a hill, though it was the highest hill in the small town. The house was a few miles from the ocean and had a great view of the ocean. The house had five stories, and the deck on the top was the highest point in the city. He could see far off an island. When he was a child, he had traveled to that island with his family. It was a fond memory. He wished he was on that island now because his life felt like an island, isolated, alone, and surrounded by water. The water was just life itself, and that life was at times a bit overwhelming. He wasn't at the island, though. He was on the roof thinking about his own existence. What was he going? Where was he going? What was he going to do? How was he going to get there once he sorted it all out? The sunrise was magnificent with pale pinkish and lavender strata clouds slowly streaking over a soft blue sky, he said out loud, quote, "'It's going to be a good day,' unquote. He said that very often, every day in the morning, no matter where he was. Rarely did he go on the roof and watch the sunrise, but today was not a rare day, nor a special day, just another day. The house belonged to his daddy, who was on the last few days of his life and in the hospital? The muse repeated the saying, quote, It is going to be a good day, unquote. as he let his eyes drift along the panoramic sunrise. Every day was not a good day, but at least he had the expectation that it would be a good day. For whatever reason, most all of his life, he was awake at dawn. Maybe the pineal gland in his forehead was overstimulated or too large. It didn't really matter why. That is just how he was up at dawn. He had given himself the name, quote, satirical muse, unquote, only recently, because he felt, he felt it, it was whom he was for now. He loved good satire, but it seemed with all the political correctness in modern society, satire was disappearing. He also loved poetry, thus the name, Satirical Muse. Recently, he had started writing some poems again. He was inspired. He liked being a muse. Sweet inspiration, delicate colors, soft eyes, talent, a deep, Beyond years, yes, he was inspired. Something very special had happened recently, and it was in a weird way a romance, or at least he thought it was a romance. It was a time in his life when time seemed to have slowed down, even though the days passed far too quickly. And Just like the empty house that was not really empty, only void, he felt void of emotion and feelings, So any little perceived spark of hope appeared like a roaring flame. The house was not the house he had grown up in or ever lived in. It was his father's house that they had built well after the muse was an adult. He had helped build it, and he nearly died once during the building process. He had been laying down some roof joists, and one of them was loose. He slipped and fell, almost landing in the opening to the elevator shaft, which had He had earlier in the day put a guardrail on. He chuckled at the thought because, in a way, he had saved his own life. Fate was not fate, as far as he was concerned. And that was not the only or first time he had come close to some tragic ending to his life. He often said his prayers in gratitude, that he had never gone into military, or he knew he would be dead by now. Some people have great luck, but not the muse. He was just not one of those people who seemed to always have good luck. The big issue on his mind was that Daddy was dying, but in reality it was not too big of an issue because it had been happening for so long now. It had been a long, slow process of illness for his father. The muse did his best, along with his two sisters, to care for the stubborn old dying man The muse tried to protect him in the business holdings. There were too many, quote, sharks, unquote, but the muse faced each new event with a focused determination. None of that seemed to matter now as he stood on the roof. It was no longer a matter of weeks or months before his father would pass. The muse knew it would be a matter of days, and now he could see and feel it even more clearly in the ever-brightening and colorful dawn. He had time to write, to listen, and to feel what was in the air around him. He knew the inner smile he felt now was because of the new romantic infatuation that was surely going nowhere except to divert his mind from other things. He knew it was just a silly ruse, yet it was a good diversion from all the stress he was going through with an ailing and dying father. In a way, he felt a bit guilty because he was sad for his father, but he was happy for himself. All his thoughts drifted back to her, and it made him smile inside. It was a comfortable and warm feeling. The sun was up now, and he could feel the rays of the sun hit his body. It warmed him in the cold dawn, but at the same time made him realize he was cold, so he shuddered. Then he smiled again, thinking of her. The sun reminded him of her. He liked to think of her as the, quote, desert rain, unquote. She was the rain bringing life to the desert. Another idea had also evolved recently because he thought of her as the, quote, ukulele girl, unquote. Even though they had never met, he knew she played the ukulele because she had emailed him a short video of her playing a song on her ukulele. He felt she was a very special person, How special? He really didn't know. But what he did know was that she was on his mind constantly. He knew it was only a distraction from the ordeal of his dying daddy. He knew it was only a fantasy that would never actually come true. But it really did not matter, because time seemed to be passing very slowly now. To him, she was the sunrise, and he was the sunset. He knew the gap of their ages was too much, the distances they lived were too far too far apart, and everyone who knew either one of them would never be able to understand what really was a silly bond growing like an embryo between them. For the muse, it was a purely magical moment, frozen in the present. He smiled again and started to think about a new poem he wanted to write to explain his feelings. How it all started was absolutely a matter of fate or karma or something like that. He had no idea what had happened and how it had progressed to the point it was at now. He thought, quote, why me? Why now, unquote. The feeling stayed in the present, but he liked that feeling because the present is all he had and it diverted him from thinking too much about all the things that lay ahead with his dying father. The one thing that was certain is that it felt sweeter than sweet. A week ago he had posted something on his internet site trying to promote his new novel and she made a comment saying that she wanted to text him. They exchanged phone numbers online and the texting began. He fed her small tits bits of his soul and she fed him her desires. Soon the rolls flipped back and forth like a fish out of water and they both felt something was transpiring far beyond what either had imagined. Secretly, They both knew the relationship most likely would remain only as a brief period in time where they treated each other, where they texted each other, but that seemed fine to both of them. She was a very bright young woman. She was creative and filled with passion for life. She played the piano and ukulele. It almost felt like the connection between them had been there for eternity. But neither one knew what that meant. The feelings always lingered in the present, even though all around, forces seemed poised to kill the feelings, they shared. The more intense it became, the more outside forces and the internal emotions seemed to rear their ugly heads. It would end soon, and they both knew it. But like when you taste a really good piece of chocolate, you almost beg inside for the taste to linger. They had only spoken on the phone a few brief times, and they had never met. At one point, they just had to chill. So they did. But the emotions continued under the surface, like the feeling of electricity in the air before a lightning storm. Nearly all the communication was via texts. They waited in between texts, sometimes days. She would create in her world, and he would create in his world. They dealt with the people in their own and respective environments as best they could and moved forward. There was a plan to meet, but the plan remained fluid and both realized it really would never happen. It was fun to just have a plan. They made a vow to each other, a vow to be friends, a vow to stay true to the feeling that had swept over every cell in their body and mind. But inside, they both knew vows often are broken. The feelings existed in both time and space, even though the time and space really did not matter to them, just like it didn't matter that the empty house was not really empty. They touched each other with words and a few photos. There was nothing erotic or base, just artistic ideas and thoughts that tried, they tried to sort out what was so mystical about the relationship. But they knew they never could sort it out. The desert rain was like a storm over the desert that would not and could not release the water to the scorched earth below, even though she knew it was her destiny. It was a prison in the sky, and any rain that fell towards the baking sand evaporated before it ever hit the ground. So they waited. The satirical muse and the desert rain closed their hearts from any peering eyes and tuned their minds to a unique wavelength that only they knew. It was a vibration of love, a true compassion bathed in a simple human desire to know the other's soul. It remained frozen in time. They shared secrets and they hoped they would learn more secrets in the future. The future seemed bright and their communication was mellowing like a fine wine in a classic oak barrel waiting for the time that it could be tasted. Chapter 2, The Ukulele Girl I am the ukulele girl, and this is my story. You will never know who I am, but you will always know me because I am your desire to be loved and cared for. That may seem odd to you, and you may wonder how we are connected. But by the end, You will see yourself in me, and you will hear the songs I sing. I am the desert rain. I will share my story with you, and hopefully it will not evaporate in the air, but come to nourish you. They told me when I was born that I did not cry as much as other babies. Maybe that was true, but now I cry often. I don't cry because I feel sorry for myself. I cry because I am part of you, part of the earth. part of nature. It is now springtime. The air is cool, but the sun is warm. Sometimes I go for a walk in the morning. I hear the birds talking. And for most people, birds sing. But for me, birds talk. What I miss the most on these mornings is the sound of silence. The air is too busy with sounds, too many sounds. It is hard to hear one voice when so many voices talk at once. That is why I like space and silence. I like the vast blue sky with only a few random fluffy clouds drifting on a gentle breeze. I like an endless empty beach where the waves are small and only kiss the shore with tenderness. I like being naked. The earth is naked, but now it is cluttered with too much noise. Sometimes I feel like I am a blind person with sight. My eyes stare into the night sky, but I can only see one star. My muse is the star. He is my guiding light. I know we will never meet or touch, even though every cell in my body wants to melt into his embrace. Sometimes I wake in the middle of the night, wet, sweating, writhing in desire and lost in a dream of his hands touching me. The dream goes on even when I wake up. I have to quench my moans so that my parents do not hear me from their room. I sometimes bite my lip to stop from moaning with pleasure. My girlfriends at school have recently asked me why I have a bruise on my lip. They think I've been kissing some boy, but I haven't been kissing anyone. I cannot tell them that I've been only dreaming or that they would surely think I was weird. I think when I realized what my future would hold and what my muse meant to me happened last Saturday... I woke up in the middle of the night from a bad dream. The bad dream was not important, as I have bad dreams quite often. I quietly, so my parents no longer, nor my brother would not hear me, crept outside to the patio in our backyard. The moon was full and very bright. I stared up at the moon as it glowed in the sky. The air was warm, but it was often warm at night as we lived on the edge of the desert. Even though it was late in the spring, There were not many night sounds. It was almost eerie how quiet it was. But I liked it. As I stared at the full moon, a few clouds drifted across the sky and blocked out the moon for a minute or so. The clouds became more frequent, and then one very large dark cloud went across the moon, and I couldn't see any part of the moon at all. Instantly, I felt scared. But just as quickly, the cloud passed, and I wasn't scared anymore. Then it happened. Rain started to fall, and the raindrops sparkled as they passed through the bright moonlight. My clothes became completely soaked but it felt good in the warm night air. I kept looking at the moon, and within minutes of the rain, very a very warm breeze swept in from the west, and the rain stopped. I had no idea how long I'd been standing and watching the moon. Now the night sky seemed perfectly clear and all I could feel was the warm wind as it dried my pajamas. I turned so that the moon was on my left side and tried to see if there were more rain clouds approaching, but there were none. Then, in what seemed like a totally cloudless sky, something strange happened. I could see raindrops falling from the sky and passing in front of the bright full moon, but they could not reach the ground. They just evaporated before they hit the ground. I continued to stare at the raindrops falling in the effervescent moonlight and wished with all my heart that they would land on me. But they dried up in the warm air before they came to earth. That is when I knew I was the desert rain. The love I felt towards my muse was like the desert rain. I could feel the love, but it would never be mine. I guess it was just one of those revelations we all have at a certain time in our lives. For me, the revelation was a spiritual experience, but I was not sure if I understood it with my mind, only with my heart. I went back to my small room and lay on my bed, which was an old mattress on the floor. I stayed awake until the sun came up. I could see the light filtering down in from parts of the worn-out curtain. Seeing the threads of the curtain starting to come apart made me wonder why I was born into such a poor family. I had I had friends that had nice homes and lived in fancy houses. But that was not my fate. My older brother's face entered my mind and I envisioned him flying beyond the clouds. I decided that moment I would also enlist in the Air Force as soon as I finished my last few months of high school. I knew... I had good grades to attend a university, but my parents were just too poor. I really did not need to take out a bunch of loans that would burden them or burden me in the future. I decided right then at that exact moment I would join the Air Force and follow my older brother. The last time he came home to visit, he was a changed person. He was much stronger. He appeared taller because his posture improved and his eyes were very bright and focused. Quote, Amy, you have to get up and get ready for school, unquote. It was my mother's voice echoing through my tiny room. I saw her head poking into the room as she slowly opened the door. Her perfume filled the air. Quote, I have to go to work, Amy, so get up and get ready now, unquote. This time her voice sounded more serious. So I scuttled under the covers of my bed and pretended to be getting out of bed, My roofs worked and she closed the door. Pulling the covers over my head, I dreamed of flying up above the clouds with my brother. I was so happy. I wanted to play my ukulele and sing. I wanted to sing about the clouds, the birds, the desert rain. I felt a warmth deep inside of me now like a small fire was starting to burn. I knew what my future held and it felt good. I dressed quickly and then almost danced all the way to school. My life had totally changed. It was not a feeling I could understand or describe, but it was a vision, and it seemed perfectly clear. I would have to tell my muse, and I would have to speak with my brother very soon. Okay, we'll stop there. We're going to Chapter 3 in the next episode.